0: Mentally Yours, from Ellen and Yvette, a
2: uh, focus on your mental health you
0: surely won't regret. It's Mentally,
2: Mentally, 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 yours. mentally yours, Mentally Yours, Mentally Yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen.
0: And I'm Yvette. And today we're going to be chatting to Bethany yiser She's a speaker and author. We're going to be chatting to her about all things schizophrenia, also about homelessness and also getting on the road to recovery. Bethany, hi, welcome to Mentally Yours. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. So you've got a really um, incredible story, really interesting story, um, which you've talked about and written about. Would it be all right for you to sort of recount it, um, and I guess starting right from the beginning, telling us a bit about when you sort of first realized that you had schizophrenia?
1: Yes, that is a long story. Um, just to start off, I had a very happy and normal childhood. My parents were my biggest fans. I was very dedicated to playing the violin. I was practicing for four hours a day all through high school, and I was a member of the Queen Orchestra Youth Orchestra. I'm really proud of that. In 1999, I left the Cleveland area and flew to Los Angeles, where I became a student at the University of Southern California, which was my dream school. And I started out pretty well. I was taking hard classes, concert master of the community orchestra, doing research. And I had pretty much no social life. I didn't really have any friends. But my, um, my professors were proud of my data. And my parents were proud of my grades. I don't think anyone ever imagined that my out-of-balance social life was actually something more. And it was like a shadow had fallen. Schizophrenia was coming, and yet none of us could have ever imagined what would happen. So for three years, I did pretty well. I started losing interest in school. My grades were dropping, but I was still doing okay. And then fall semester of my junior year, I started really looking for something more in life, which is good to do. But for me, it was going beyond. That semester, my church decided to send a small team of women to visit one of the poorest areas in all of China. And I got my first passport, and I went to China for about 10 days. When I was there, seeing people with this low standard of living couldn't afford to eat meat, who were working so hard in farming, I started to think in the back of my mind, can I help a million people in China changing their lives? And the answer to that question probably was, well, perhaps if you get a lot of education and experience over many years, maybe you can make an impact, maybe not a million people. But that's not what I was thinking. Somehow in the back of my mind, the answer was yes, I know I can help millions of people in China living in poverty. So I got back from China. It was time for me to take some difficult classes and get some high grades. My dream was to do an MD or a PhD, to do clinical trials and perhaps HIV, AIDS, or cancer. But instead of doing that and reaching for my goals, I took some of the easiest classes I'd ever taken and scored some C's. It was totally out of character for, for me. Something was wrong. I needed to talk to someone and get my life in order, but I didn't. And I spent all of my time that semester planning this trip to Africa. I planned to go to Slum of Nairobi all by myself. I went through a Kenyan agency, so it was me, one white person, in a community where no other white people were there, only black Africans. I loved it. I enjoyed their food. I loved making friends. I made friends so quickly when I was there. And then there were the difficult parts. I was volunteering at the medical clinic and I saw people with severe burns and they weren't being given pain for medic- medication for the pain. I saw people with severe cases of malaria. Anyway, while I was there, inside of my mind, I started to think, can I help millions and millions of people in Africa? Somehow, back in in the recesses of my mind, the answer was, yes, somehow I believe I can. So anyway, my schizophrenia began when I got back from Africa. I was in my senior year, I was taking four difficult classes, and I would was going to all my lectures and studying. I remember I took the first exam that semester in a molecular genetics class. And I thought I aced that exam. And I had aced exams before. That wasn't too out of character for me. And I got back this exam, and you wouldn't believe it, but I failed the exam. I had essentially written gibberish for all of the answers. And my mind was broken. My mind was like this thick cloud and I, I couldn't think straight anymore. And then I told myself if I really wanted to pass or get an A, of course I could, you know, this is my decision. I'm choosing not to do well in these classes. And then I started to think, well, I want to be the next mother Teresa and mother Teresa doesn't have a bachelor's degree. And then I wanted to travel again in order to be the next mother, Teresa. I believed I needed to travel the world. And I had some friends from California, Caucasian family who had moved to Thailand uh, months earlier. So I contacted them asking if I could come to Thailand. And my parents were so confused when I got back from Africa. It was like I was a different person. I was paranoid of my parents. I was worried they'd stop me from making a worldwide impact, which is ridiculous. Uh, And then I told them I was going to Thailand, and they were perplexed. They basically said, well, you know, if you want our funding, you need to stay in school and not focus on Thailand, focus on school. Don't you remember your dreams of obtaining a higher education to do clinical studies in hospitals? And when they told me they didn't want me to go to Thailand, even though they were gentle and rational, I was so offended. I was so offended that they didn't think that I could immediately make a worldwide impact, radically changing the lives of millions of people. And so I uh, decided I was never going to speak with them again. And I wouldn't speak with them again for about four and a half years. So my doctors look back on my life. They generally conclude that this was my first psychotic episode, failing college, paranoid of my parents, refusing to talk to my parents, traveling. I maxed out my credit cards to make it to Thailand. My Thailand host family was extremely concerned about me. I didn't think anything was wrong. And then I got back from Thailand and signed up for classes again, which I would be failing again. And that second semester, what was supposed to be my second semester of my senior year, I actually believed that if I just got on a plane and flew to Boston, that when I got to the airport, there would be someone there, knowing I was coming through a dream, who would be waiting for me with a sign and it would help me raise millions of dollars and travel the world. So this was when my delusions, my fixed false beliefs, became very... Real to me, they were so real that I actually made this choice to get on a plane bound for Boston from Los Angeles in order to meet an imaginary person. And I stayed in that airport for over uh for about 18 hours, and finally I flew back to Los Angeles. But I never gave up, I thought I just need to wait. I know that people are coming into my life who will help me become the next Mother Teresa. And when I got back from Boston, I moved out of my dormitory room, became homeless in the Los Angeles area, which would actually last for four years.
2: One thing just when I'm listening to that, that's really shocking and saddening is did no one kind of notice that something was really wrong and like do something to stop this from happening? I'm thinking even in terms of like your teachers at college, did anyone notice or say anything? Well, first
1: of all, my parents did everything they could to get me Mm -hmm. support. They contacted my friends. They contacted my church. They contacted my professors. And every time I heard that my parents had interacted with one of these people, such as my pastor, for example, I would cut that person off. Mm -hmm. I was extremely paranoid of family. I became paranoid of my friends. Um, You know, it was a very large university. And I'm sure that I had some teachers that were concerned, but I don't think that they knew what to do. Mm. So my life was centered around my delusions. It was affecting all of my choices, but I knew what to say. First of all, I never told anyone that I expected to be a billionaire and win a Nobel Peace Prize. I knew that would sound crazy. I thought that they would see when it happened, you know, and I am secondly, If I had seen a psychiatrist, I would have known what to say. I might have said, I'm taking some time off from school. I want to travel again. I learned a lot from Africa. I want to go back. Oh, of course I have a place to live. I'm staying with friends, you know? So I would have been tremendously difficult to diagnose because I knew all the answers. And my parents, again, were doing everything they could think of to try to help. Nothing was working. They sent me a credit card and said, charge your food on this credit card. I destroyed it. They sent me checks. I ripped them up. They sent me birthday presents. I gave them away because I wanted to make a clean cut from my mom and dad. So I was almost an impossible case mm. to, to reach.
2: Mm. So how how did you then get help eventually? How did someone get through? Well, I became homeless after my Boston
1: trip on March 3rd, of 2003. Mm-hmm. And in early 2006, when the voices appeared and got really bad, really quickly, I started spending every night in a churchyard outside, which was tremendously dangerous, but in my delusions and hallucinations, I didn't even notice it. I was sleeping in that churchyard for about 13 months. And then March 3rd of 2007 was my fourth year anniversary of becoming homeless. And that morning, the voices were worse than they had ever been. They were screaming at me in my mind, and I was screaming back at them in my reality. And they were telling me to walk to the right, walk to the left. I was walking in this zigzag pattern around the churchyard. And when I least expected it, somebody snuck up on me and pulled my hands behind my back. It was a police officer. And he told me that I was being taken to a hospital for evaluation And I thought, well, that's great. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, they'll let me right out. I had no idea, no even remote faint idea that I was severely mentally ill. Mm. So I was taken to the hospital and the hospital called my mom and dad. And my parents jumped at the opportunity and said, please, she's been out of touch for four and a half years we believe something is very wrong. And they said, please keep her, you know, to see, observe her longer, make sure she's okay. And they asked me if I wanted to speak with my parents. And somehow when I was taken to the hospital, I was ready. So I got in touch with my mom and she was so kind. She said, you're my best friend and I've missed you. So my parents flew to LA from Cincinnati area about 24 hours after I was hospitalized and at first I was adamant about not taking medication, but they could see my odd behavior resulting from the voices. Again, mm. you know, I would walk in zigzag patterns and say things that didn't make sense and look into the distance because I thought I heard something when nothing was there. So they they were able to tell that I really needed medication for my hallucinations So eventually I did consent to start medication and then on medication, I flew to Cincinnati to live with my parents again and rebuild my life. And that's when the, when the side effects of the medication really showed up, terrible side effects, restlessness, blunted affect, sleeping 16 hours a night, sometimes more rapid weight gain. And I thought this medication is going to put me in a nursing home. And I thought, I know who I am. I do not need this medication. So I stopped it. And what I didn't realize was that the medication, which I thought didn't work at all, was actually helping quite a lot. So I went off the medication and then I was acutely psychotic again. I was hospitalized a second time, my first time in Ohio. And then the doctor just reached out with me saying, Do you want to go back to college? Do you want to play violin at a high level again? He said that might be possible, but you must always stay on medication. So that's how I came to accept that I needed help, which was one of the biggest milestones in my life. And I would spend 12 months trying five different antipsychotics with very little success until I finally found a special medication for treatment-resistant patients, which actually gave me back my life.
0: I'm so glad you found the the right one eventually, but it's I think it's just really sort of shocking it sort of took so long and also um, that you were homeless for so long without maybe someone intervening or um, that 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 just took so long. Um, Can you remember much from that time Um, and how do you feel about that time now? Do you feel like you learned from it or I mean, how do you feel about it or do you feel like that time was also traumatizing?
1: I, I don't think I've learned from it any more than somebody with cancer would learn from their illness. I mean, you you can have some revelations. You, you realize how important friends and family are, and you realize how much you have to be grateful for. When I was homeless, I was constantly experiencing what you might call a mania. In other words, my thoughts were racing. I was thinking all the time about becoming a prophet and a billionaire and all these grandiose thoughts, and it felt good. When I started medication, I wanted that back. When I started medication, the hallucinations and the delusions went away, and I was left with reality, which was I hadn't passed my classes. I hadn't finished college, let alone medical school, which I used to hope for. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I'd lost so much time. So the transition from homelessness and manic to uh, struggling on medications was very, very difficult. And I used to wish every day that I was still homeless because homelessness was much easier than the side effects of my medication. But fortunately, in 2008, after I found the right medication... I was able to really enjoy my life again, to spend time with people. I was able to go back to college and get high grades again. You know, today I live in my own apartment, a block from the University of Cincinnati campus. And today I never miss being homeless, even though there were a lot of moments that felt amazing. But um, yeah, today I'm grateful for this new life that I have with a clear mind.
2: What was it like to be able to go back to college after going through all of that? I imagine it must have been, you know, such an amazing feeling to be able to do that. Yeah, it was. When I
1: saw my first doctor in Los Angeles in 2007, within 48 hours, he determined that I was permanently and totally disabled, that I would never work again, and that I would never go back to school. And it was so amazing when I was able to prove him wrong. And I, at first at UC, I registered just in a genetics class and I got my A. And then I graduated with nearly straight A's in 2011. I loved being in school. I loved to study, I loved mm-hmm. to read the textbooks and attend lectures. The exams were a challenge that I enjoyed. And it was extra amazing because I was told it would never be possible.
0: And how do you find things now in terms of um, dealing with your schizophrenia? What have you found sort of helps to manage it?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty well managed on medication. I see a doctor every three months. We talk about my work with the Cures Foundation and the weather. There's not much to talk about. In 2016, well, I should go back a little further. In 2014, I wrote a memoir called Mind Estranged, as in an estrangement. And it opened a lot of doors for me to speak publicly about schizophrenia and sell books. And my mom, Karen Yeiser, wrote her own book called Flight from Reason, which is our family's story, but from her perspective as a mom and also as a nurse. So I spent a lot of time traveling with my mom, and we would often both present at the same time, the same events. So in 2016, the doctor who started me on the medication that gave me back my life Recommended that we start a small nonprofit foundation. So we called it Cures, which is comprehensive understanding via research and education into schizophrenia. And Cures has become my job. I interact with families of a loved one with schizophrenia and people with schizophrenia all the time. We have a lot of resources online, including a group of what we call schizophrenia survivors, 28 people who are not just managing, but who are thriving despite schizophrenia. And we get a lot of hits on our survivors webpage. We talk about cutting edge and underutilized medications. We offer a mentoring program for caregivers, which has over 35 mentees now, so it's expanding a lot. We have a YouTube channel with about 50 videos on all kinds of topics in schizophrenia. We're also starting Cures Clubs. We have one at the University of Cincinnati and a few others that are just in the beginning phases. So I I have a wonderful life now. I love my work. I have a lot of friends who live nearby the university. I teach piano lessons too, and I generally play violin almost every week for my church. So uh, I'm very happy with my life, and especially when you think about how low my doctor's prognosis was years ago. I'm, Mm. I'm so happy that that was wrong and that now i can enjoy every day
2: with cures what's the kind of aim or the big goal with it what do you hope to achieve with it because i think it must be so fulfilling to have come this kind of strange full circle route where you're doing something so important
1: yeah cures prevents schizophrenia as a treatable brain illness a neurochemical mm-hmm. brain disorder You know, seizures used to be called a mental illness, and today, of course, Hmm. they're considered to be brain diseases or brain issues. So we will get to the point soon where schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and other brain disorders are referred to as they should be as brain disorders, but we're not there yet. So we want to reach the general population saying, look, it's physical, it's treatable, There is hope today. One of the myths of schizophrenia is that people who have it just end up in a group home or locked away somewhere forever or in Mm -hmm. a nursing home. And that's just not true anymore. People can recover from this today. Not everyone, but a very large percent will do very well. And it's really a pleasure with the Cures Foundation interacting with these 28 people we've found who are such shining examples of recovery. So we reach the general population. Of course, we're reaching patients and families with information they need to have the most effective communication with their doctor. We also have what we call a clozapine expert panel. We have about 120 doctors who prescribe clozapine on the panel, and patients and families can contact these doctors to get a second opinion. I have a trial of clozapine. I I actually take clozapine myself. Just to,
2: sorry to interrupt, is clozapine um, an antipsychotic?
1: Yes, yes it is. Clozapine is one of the newer antipsychotics. Actually, Mm -hmm. it was introduced in the 50s, but some people died, so it was taken off the market and reintroduced in 1989 with a mandatory weekly blood draw for Mm -hmm. severe side effects. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, it's uh, it's the only antipsychotic approved for treatment resistant patients. And it's the only thing that really worked well for me and and for many other people as well.
2: Do you think there needs to be more kind of education about the different treatments and the medication for schizophrenia? Because I think what you said was really interesting about how when you started taking your first medication, it was just the side effects were so debilitating that you relapsed essentially. Do you feel like there needs to be more awareness of the fact that there are other options, there is treatment available, and maybe that, you know, more research needs to be done into what other treatments there might be?
1: That is one of the biggest objectives of the Cures Foundation. If you go to our website, you'll see three boxes near the top. Uh, One is medication for persistent psychosis, which is clozapine. Another one of them, the second box, is called tardive dyskinesia. Tardive dyskinesia is a movement, involuntary movement disorder, which is a side effect of many antipsychotics. It can affect your face, give you grimacing Mm -hmm. movements and lip-smacking movements. It's debilitating. But in 2017, after decades of not being able to do anything about it, they came up with two drugs. So we spent a lot of time talking about these two medications. We want all people with schizophrenia taking antipsychotics to be aware that if they develop these movement disorders, there is treatment, there is hope. And our third class of medications is called long-acting injectable antipsychotics. So these are shots that you get once every month. One of them is once every three months. And they've been proven extremely effective for preventing relapse. And it's so common, in schizophrenia, for the patient to leave the hospital, say, oh, I feel better now, mm-hmm. and just go off their medication, which leads to brain tissue loss and relapse and psychosis oftentimes. So we spend a lot of time talking about LAIs. So, yes, Educating patients and their families about what their options are is one of the biggest things that we do.
0: Hmm. I can't help but wonder what the differences are as well between the way that we treat schizophrenia on the NHS and the way that um, people with schizophrenia are treated in the US. Um, hmm. Does it depend very much on whether you have good healthcare or not? And what happens if you don't have healthcare?
1: Um Yeah, I mean, when I was homeless and taken to the hospital for the first time, I was immediately put on Medicaid, stayed with Medicaid for some time. And on Medicaid, I was able to get expensive medications to try during my 12 months with five different antipsychotics. So my health care was excellent. Um, I'm not sure how representative that is of everyone living in the United States, but I think that overall, there's fairly good access to antipsychotics. If people need clozapine, clozapine is generic, so it's it's a lot cheaper. Um, but yeah, I uh, I think overall, I can say I'm I'm proud of the healthcare that I've received, and I understand that in the United States, it's pretty good. I will mention that clozapine is in many countries, and two of our members of our clozapine expert panel are actually doctors in the United Kingdom. So Mm. I'm proud of that.
2: I'm just going to ask a more um, personal question away from the antipsychotic specifically. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know how your relationship with your mother is now, because I think what you said about, you know, writing these books together and being able to become best friends again Mm -hmm. is really powerful. But I wonder how you kind of moved past the years when you weren't in contact and when she was very worried about your well-being didn't know where you were etc
1: from the very beginning when my parents saw me in that hospital in la after i was picked up by police they always said the same thing they said this is not your fault this is a disease your hate behavior is stemming from a brain disorder they said if you stay on your medication there's hope that you'll get better My parents would not give up on me. Even when my first doctor said I would be permanently and totally disabled, they did not accept that. They said, we will do everything in our power to get you better. And they did. Um, Mm -hmm. I was seeing a doctor. He decided abruptly that my case was too complicated and just dropped me as a patient before I could have the time to find another doctor. And our our safety net was the emergency room at the local university hospital. And my parents took me to the emergency room four or five times. and We waited for hours and hours for me to be seen by a doctor who said, after all that time, we just said, oh, you're fine. Go home. (laughs) I mean, it really did feel hopeless. And Mm -hmm. I finally got a new doctor in 2008. And I was hoping for a new chapter, you know, new hope. And that doctor also just completely gave up on me and said that school and work would never be possible. So yes, my parents were the driving force behind my recovery. They never blamed me for it. And they helped make my recovery happen. I don't know what I would have done without them.
2: To those who maybe are in a kind of that place of feeling hopeless and scared and alone and maybe aren't as lucky as you were to have those kind of amazing parents from what you were saying about how they completely supported you and understood it was an illness from the get-go, it's just brilliant. Mm. To anyone who's maybe not as lucky to have that, do you have anything that you wish that you could say to them or that they should know to you know be able to get support and the help that they need?
1: Well, yes, I, I would recommend that my parents serve as role models for how parents and friends and family should act. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's so important to have compassion and patience and just the willpower to not give up on your loved one. You know, and remember, again, that there is hope today on the newer medications on clozapine. And I would say to psychiatrists, Don't lower your expectations. Shoot for the stars. Mm -hmm. People with schizophrenia are often very young. In their late teens and their early 20s, they have their whole life in front of them. So just don't give up. Keep trying medications. Keep trying treatments until you find the highest level of recovery possible.
0: This is goodbye for mentally ill. Go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores From Mentally, 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 Mentally Mentally, mentally, yours. mentally, yours. mentally, yours. mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today Please give the Samaritans a ring on 116 123 Or you can email them at joe at joeatsamaritans.org You can also go to their website, which is samaritans.org. If you've liked this, please give us a rate and review. We're also on social media, on Twitter at MentallyYRS, and we're also on Facebook. The group is private, but it's just called Mentally Yours. See you next time.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.